you're a dolphin. You're hanging out with your boys. You realize that you've loved your boys this whole time. You wonder, you worry if your boys feel the same. So you say, <laughs> and they love you too. Hell yeah. Welcome back to Deals and Scams. I'm Sandy. I'm Wayne. I'm Eve. Welcome to Deals and Scams. This is a podcast where we talk about deals and scams. This week, Owen is not here, but we are joined by our friend and soon-to-be podcaster, Eve. Eve, welcome. Tell us, Please tell us about yourself. Okay, so I'm sorry. Real quick, I want to butt yeah. in and say that our producer, Catherine, wrote that little script for us because she is not here today. And I love that Wade read it like a script. <laughs> he was very, yeah. yeah, but yes, Eve, please okay. tell us about yourself. Um, well, my name is Eve. I am. Um, What's your favorite color? Right now, I would say it's green. What's the last uh, book you read? Um, I didn't read a book, but the last poem I read was Ourselves Were Wed One Summer by Emily Dickinson. I just finished my final paper for an American literature class. So yes, the, any, any memorable lines from this poem? Yes. So the second stanza Dickinson writes, um i think like just true your garden faced the sun while north well oceans in the north must be on every side of mine um but it's like it's such a visceral image living in this cottage where like north faces every single direction like geographically it's impossible um but there's this like planned okay so the stanza is tis true our future's different lay your cottage faced the sun while oceans in the north must be on every side of mine. And it's like crazy to think about this like cottage living in this nowhere land where like north is on every side because that's impossible. But like, mm. yes, I see the yeah. cottage, you know, I, I see it aerially and I see it overlooking cliffs and oceans. And yeah. what's that? That there's a little man inside the cottage and he's coming out. Oh, my God. Oh, that's me. Yeah. Oh my god, that's you. Oh my god, it's it's Sandy. I'm the man. Hi the Sandy. Man. I wave. He's I wave waving, to he's wave to us. He's above me. You're like, Hello. Hi, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. I, I appreciate that uh that that normally our podcast is pretty rank in terms of <laughs> vibes, but I, I like that as soon as Eve comes on, we're talking about poetry. It's very uh very high-minded this episode. I like it. Oh, well, no, I can, I don't think, I don't, I don't know. I feel like this past year, I've really like fallen off the intellectual, <laughs> intellectualism. Like I, I feel like I've become anti-intellectual. Like, intellectualism, the biggest scam of history. Yeah. I've, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, speaking of intellectualism as a scam, I hear you have a deal for us today. Oh, yes. All right. Well, um, I was chatting with Sandy the other day, um, which was very pleasant because Sandy is like a quadruple texter. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? It just means like, like most of the time when I text my friends or like specifically my male friends, they will only reply with like one word or like one little <laughs> sentence. And then meanwhile, you're like four, like four paragraphs. And I'm like, this is great. This is great. And I do love, text. I send a lot of texts. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think texting is great. Um, okay. And so I appreciate having a conversationalist who is on the same wavelength. There's a bird outside my window. 
um, which is why I'm well, like, we appreciate him being on our podcast. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> in. Um, yeah. But yes, okay. So sorry. Well, what were we, we were talking about? You we were talking about your your deal for today. So my deal for this podcast episode um, is mediocrity. I think mediocrity is a deal because it allows you to do many things without the pressure of having to be exceptional at them. Right. Okay. But right. So how, how, okay. Can, can, I, I know we talked about this in when we were discussing yeah. your, your deal for today, but give, give us an example. What is the example you want to, you want to bring? Okay. To so I, for about 15 years played classical piano. Um, and I was never necessarily exceptional at it. Um, but there was always this expectation, not necessarily for me, but for other piano students that like, if they were to pursue an instrument, they would have to be exceptional at it. Um, right, and I think right. a lot of that, or like the, the attitude of exceptionalism causes us to burn out easily, um, I would say. But with mediocrity, there comes this like, um, sorry, I'm like taking a really long time to get to it. But I feel like with mediocrity, you can learn a lot of different things and try a lot of different things without necessarily having to like, to excel at them. Um, yeah. I think also yeah, exceptionalism yeah. is fueled by capitalism. Like a lot of, um, like a lot of singers we see these days, like they need to like make money or like a lot of young pianists I would meet in my youth were very interested in like doing really well at competitions so that they could like put it on their college apps and then like, you know, then they would abandon it like a semester in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know what you're, I mean, so I, I, I mentioned this when, when we were chatting, but I also played piano uh, when I was younger. I did not play for, I didn't even play for 15 years. That's a, that's, that's commitment. I'm impressed. So can you, can you still, can, how much of that piano skill have you, have you retained? Um, a lot of it is like note reading, I would say. And also um, like uh, playing by ear or like listening to a song and then playing mm -hmm. it on the piano. Um, the method that I learned piano with, it's called the Suzuki method, but you yeah. have, um, you're given like a CD recording of like all of the different pieces in like a specific book. And then you're supposed to like, especially from a young age, like you're supposed to listen to that CD until you like slowly learn the melodies. And then mm -hmm. um, you'll work with your teacher and like put it all together by ear, um, which is amazing, but it can be kind of hard because um, Suzuki kids as they're called um, don't always have like, like they're not always able to read music and they are like comfortable relying on their ear. Um, but all this is to say, like, I would say being able to play by ear and to hear something and to put it down on the keyboard. Um, that's one of my skills. And um, I don't know, I can play a few songs as well, which is good. Um, like I have a song and I'm like, oh yeah, like this is where things are going. Right. I see. I mean, I, cause I, so when I played piano, I always could, I could never um, play by ear. And I always thought that was like super impressive to be able to, to play by ear. 
Um, Cause I could always read, like I could sort of read music. I used to be able to, I can't anymore, but, um, and I found it really, really difficult. And I was always jealous of like the kids. Cause I remember I used to go to like our local kind of music conservatory and there were other kids who were like, what was it? Suzuki kids. You called them. Yeah. Who could like play by ear. And I was like, what the hell? That's sick. Like, I wish I could do that, but I never could. But I think that's like the, I think that ties into your larger point of like, I was always a mediocre piano player. I was never very good, you know? And I think that caused me to stop playing because I thought like, oh, I can, if I'm not exceptional, like, what's the point, you know, like, why would I keep going? And I think that like, I'm looking back and I'm like, I kind of, I don't know. I regret it. Like I regret not kind of sticking with it further or and I regret that I've lost a lot of my skill or like all of my ability to play piano. Um, Cause I think it just would have been a cool skill to have, not really for any reason, just to have, it, you know? And I feel like unless you embrace mediocrity, you can't just have a skill to have it. Like it has to have a function, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the founder of the Suzuki method, um, Dr. Suzuki, he would always say like, I practice on the days that I eat. Um, <laughs> That's so intense. Just like, that's so intense and like so scary and I remember my piano teacher like saying this to me I was like nine years old and he's like yeah so you know it's really tempting to skip out on practice but like music is so essential to your life like like Dr. Suzuki he was saying like I practice on the days that I eat and you know you have to like you have to make that a part of your routine like now that I'm older and I don't practice I'm like ah gotta be it's gotta be important to you um and it has to be like part of your daily like part of your daily routine or like part of your function or like not part of your function but yeah part of your daily routine or like daily life um thank you for this look into um this world of suzuki kids and classical um piano learning um it's definitely not something that i was ever exposed to and Probably not many of our Mm -hmm. listeners have been exposed to it either, but I think everyone can sympathize with the harmful effects of a culture of excellence. Um, Yeah. I think a lot of different spaces will require um, uh, a lot of different cultures. Um, And I guess Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, I am, I'm kind of, I I think the real uh, question at here is um, the result of uh, expectations of, um, you know, authority figures in your life. And I mean, and like anything else your parents or teachers give you, it is both a blessing and a curse. So it's obvious. And so I guess I'm, so I guess what I'm struggling with is that, yes, like mediocrity may be a deal, but I don't see how like excellent, a culture of excellence might give you mental health issues, but you can play the piano really well. And like, Mm -hmm. that seems right to me, you know? But I mean, like what, I I think that, (laughs) That seems insane. Like, why would you? I would rather be not depressed and not play the piano very well. Like, I feel like I was like, like, it made me so sad when I was a kid and I could play the piano, but not that well. And I would like compare myself to other people and I would just get really down about it, you know? And it made me want to not play the piano anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I mean, I also think that like, in terms of like, I play, I practice on the days that I eat as like a mentality. I think that, I mean, Eve, so what were you saying? You were saying that, like, you like that, you think that it should be integrated into your, like, daily routine? Because I feel like that seems intense. Like, if you treat it 
as mm-hmm. important as eating, that seems like you're treating it with, you're putting too much importance on playing the piano. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Sandy. I think it's very much like, like when I look back to the days when I was like playing piano oh. for like one and a half hours a day. Yeah. I just remember like, like I remember getting ready for my senior recital and my mom would have to like cajole me into playing. Like she'd be like, you need to like, you need to spend time on the piano, like get on the piano, like get it out of the way. Like, um, and then when I played piano in college, which I did for two years, um, I would come home for break and she'd be like, you need to practice the piano. And I was like, this doesn't seem like. It just uh, seems like it's not part of your life anymore. Yeah. It seems like something that is more mature. I don't know. I would say music is like very incorporated into my family's life. Um, like you'll get in the car with them and they're playing classical radio or like you'll come home and someone's always practicing, but it's not like, I don't know. It took me, I had to go away from the piano to actually want to come back. If that makes sense. That is very playing interesting. From a repertoire and I was also like practicing because my mom was telling to not telling me to yeah yeah she was telling me to practice and that's why I was practicing I wasn't practicing because I was like I love this Mm -hmm. and there were times that I loved it but it It sounds like um I don't know what you're uh it it sounds like other people's experience with religion yeah I mean I where you get forced to do it as a kid and you hate going to church every Sunday and then in college you leave and then you're like oh my god like now that I'm not forced to do it, I want to go back and like, you know, experience connection with um a greater power. It's funny you say that when because my mom was like, we were having a conversation a few years ago, and I must have been like 17. And she was like, Yeah, we decided to like not raise you in a church, but we decided that music could be your similar like church, church community. Well, so in your family, this was an explicit comparison. <laughs> right. Yeah. You were, you're not the first one to think of this way. Like, yeah. Wow. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Wayne. Megan got there first. She was like. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like that, that is a good point because I also think that, I mean, well, okay. But I think that with like, with mediocrity being a, a back to the, the, the fundamental deal, right. Of mediocrity is like, I wonder uh, and, and I don't even know if I necessarily believe this myself, but I think it's something interesting mm-hmm. to think about where it's like, is yeah. to some degree exceptionalism like just inherent in us? Because like, I think that obviously it doesn't help when you're taught to compare yourself to others and you're taught to be obsessive about something, especially when you're taught from such a young age to be obsessive about something. But I do wonder that like, maybe I, I might find it difficult to like, I don't know, maybe if I kept going with piano, I would just naturally want to get better, you know? Like, it would be difficult for me to 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 not become obsessed with it and obsessed with, like, not being mediocre anymore. But, like, I don't even know if that's true. I mean, maybe, but, I mean, I, I think, how, how do you guys feel about that? When we're deciding values for our children, I think we shouldn't put it in the black and white of, like, look, these set of expectations will make your kids happy, and this set of expectations will make your kids depressed. Like, what it really is that if you have high expectations for your kids in something like piano, um, they might end up something having, they might end up having this very beautiful experience, um, 
and they might, for example, it might get them into college and they might end up being depressed about it, or it might be all three or none of them. You, mm-hmm. you just really don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think uh, when parents do um, essentially risk evaluation for their children, I think, um, yeah, sorry, I, I just want to look at it in terms of, of risk as opposed to um, certain values will certainly do things to children. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you could have, you could go in with the best of intentions and there's still a risk that it, that it doesn't work out. Like you could, you could go in and teach. Well, okay. I guess that this is that, that, that brings me to another question. Like, do you feel as though this, like now that you have come back to piano and you've, or like, like, and you've kind of been like, okay, Mm -hmm. like, like I am more accepting of mediocrity. You know what I mean? Um, and like, I don't need to be so exceptional. Like, do you feel as though your parents, your family has been like receptive to that or are they like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I see. a lot of like, like my parents putting pressure on me was not necessarily like, like, I don't think it was my parents. I think it was just like the culture of like going to festivals and going to recitals and like trying out for right, recitals right. and um, like, I don't know, there's just so much pressure of like other families and other people. Um, like I would see the same families yeah. at um, like a yearly festival and every year they would be like going up another book and I would like still be in the same book or, you know, like I would still be learning certain pieces and I would be like, oh, this person's family is like doing so well. And like their daughter is only like, 14 years old and she is already in like book seven um yeah yeah so I'm sorry so the what the the books I didn't so it's, I didn't realize it was such like a rigid structure like there's such a rigid hierarchy like okay you're in book one how many books were yeah. there that's crazy I didn't know I think there are like eight books oh wow okay interesting yeah. I got to book six. Oh, uh, that's that's far that's you know when you finish eight. the eighth book you get your own piano <laughs> you were said <laughs> I know I win no, I, I, I wish that that would be cool, but yeah, I think it's just so much like the, the, the culture of others and, um, in comparison, like now, um, when I play piano and like in my dorm or like play piano at a party, like it's not, there's not so much pressure. Um, yeah. you're not yeah. with like a bunch of other small concert pianists and their parents. Uh-huh. I've also been listening to the CD and like know when you make a mistake. Like, like I was playing for Angelica the other day and she was like, oh, you sound so wonderful. And I was like, really? I haven't played in like two years. Like, this is just something I recalled. And she was like, no, it sounds good. And I was like, you are lying. But, you know. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that obviously, you know, we don't, I think it's with like, we just don't anybody who could if you went to a party i'm sure that that would that that is impressive right because mm-hmm. it's like not everybody can literally play that it's just crazy to me that like everybody can play literally the same songs so not only can they tell that they're like oh this sounds weird they're like this sounds weird and i know exactly why because you missed this one specific note like that must get pretty i can understand why that would be stressful you know like that's a high pressure environment my mom used to say or actually my teacher used to say like the only people in this room who know that you made a mistake are you and me but Mm -hmm. 
in a room where like everybody else knows the repertoire and is practiced like that's just not mm-hmm. that's just not true right um I think the thing that like is really wonderful about piano though is like style and style performance mm-hmm. um so the older you get and the more advanced you get the more you can make it your own and I think that was like really what I loved about piano yeah if yeah. you were but if you were ever to simply pursue mediocrity mm-hmm. Do you think most people can get to the level of personalization? I don't know. Maybe, perhaps. Yeah. I, I think mediocrity could possibly to take could possibly take you to what you love about piano, but it seems as though to me is that a culture mm-hmm. of excellence. Um, it d- drove you to find what you loved about piano, it, it, and it wasn't the culture of excellence. It was, um, mm-hmm. you know, just all the time they made you spend with it. I think there's like the interesting thing about excellence is that a lot of it comes from like outside outside pressure, but there's also this like very intense dedication to craft that comes with like, with excellence and with learning a new skill. Like that's why so many people love academia or like go into academia and get PhDs because they're like, this is great. I want to dedicate my entire life to this. Right. I mean, okay. So Wade, 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 is, our, Wade is our host for today. Mm-hmm. And Wade, the host will deliver final judgment which is where I have been waiting for so long to deliver final judgment, (laughs) which is where Wade will either decide whether this is a, uh, this is a a scam or a deal, or if there is a a more accurate deal or more accurate scam. So Wade, I I, I think that unless Eve has any final thoughts on mediocrity, I think it's time for Wade to to deliver final judgment. Eve, do you have any, anything else to add? Yes. I have one more thing to add. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, So something else that I thought a lot about after our conversation, Sandy, is um, do you know those like those STEM majors who like, like, have you ever seen those jokes about STEM majors that are like STEM majors when you like have to read their writing or like, have you ever met a STEM yeah, major yeah, who's like, yeah. oh, I absolutely, I, like, I don't want to take this English one class. Like, this is so stupid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know if I've met a STEM major who's at quite that bad, but yes, I definitely, I know the type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've met plenty of folks like that over the years. Um, and I think, like, I think STEM majors are, like, specifically, like, like, science-oriented people who are just, like, very much ahead um, like, I think you would come across this kind of person in like a college, a college class. They're like, yeah, technically I'm a sophomore by like by credits, but like, I have to take this class. Oh, that's so stupid. Yeah. yeah I think yeah, those yeah, people yeah, are yeah. like some of the clearest products of exceptionalism. Right. Okay. Where like, they are doing something that is so like marketable and so, um, I don't know, like so clearly um, rewarded, like so clearly Mm -hmm. financially good or like recognizably good professionally um, Mm -hmm. that they've just been allowed to like skate by their whole lives in other subjects um, that are like maybe not so important like music or art or writing. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is potentially really dangerous because I don't know. I just think it's important to be a good writer and to have critical thinking skills. And you can't get that in like a chemistry class. Right. And so are you saying that like those people are just unwilling to be mediocre? Like they're unwilling to do something that they're mediocre at. Yeah. Yeah, They're not prepared to, um, 
to be mediocre or potentially even to be bad at something because like mm-hmm. they've been told like oh you're you, you're great your whole life um or their whole right. lives they've been told you're excellent at this for their entire life yeah yeah well, wait. As a as a, as a stem as a stem person, how do you feel about this? Are you willing to be mediocre at anything, or do you refuse? I could talk about the can of worms that Eve has opened for hours. So <laughs> okay. I'll try to summarize and also deliver final judgment okay. as such. So it is my view that the engine that drives all exceptionalism. Mm. I think what you've correctly identified is this overwhelming fear of failure mm. and judgment and. Um, a self and like negative self-worth and it's a very powerful driver um i am very sympathetic to those people who turn to it as um uh a driver of action Mm -hmm. though it's very uncontroversial to say Mm -hmm. it's not a good driver of action we'd all prefer passion or interest or curiosity as a driver of action um but you know, instead, mm-hmm. uh, these kids, as you say, have have resorted to like, you know, the dark magic of motivation. Um, so I'm not ready to say, um, you know, bearing in mind that, we, that if we would like to accept a culture of mediocrity, like if we would like to accept that we're going to make a bad podcast, <laughs> I will okay. accept that I'm going to deliver, you know, a mediocre final judgment on on the subject of mediocrity. Okay. Okay. So it was. And was that your final judgment, Wade? Yeah, my final judgment is that it's kind of too it's it's too complex to crack, you know. Okay, so you're so we're not. <laughs> I feel as though so you're. Are you saying it is a okay? But also that is not. I that is too that is too nebulous. Wade. Look, who is delivering final judgment? All right, but but is it a deal or is it not a deal? I, have you been listening at all? It's too complicated <laughs> to put into these effing binaries. You, Okay. Okay. I guess I guess now would be the time to consider like the different lenses through which we can look at mediocrity. Um I submitted my thesis on Friday, which is why I'm like having this clarity of thought. <laughs> um weight off my shoulders and I got all my brain cells back. Anyway, um if we think about mediocrity in terms of professionalism, um or like economics, whatever. I don't know. I'm not an econ major, but I think that mediocrity is good in some ways because it allows you to learn a lot of different skills without necessarily having to pursue one or like the pressure of pursuing one. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like if I wanted to learn how to code, but I was like really, really, really bad at it. But there's also like no pressure for me to code because I know how to like, I don't know, repair cars or something. Like I could pursue, I could do all of those things without necessarily having to like choose one path. Yeah. And like obsess over that one path. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I got to learn how to change my oil. Like this is so important, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Or else I'm not going to make any money and I'm going to, and I've got to die and it's going to be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. If I don't become a car mechanic in six Mm -hmm. months. (laughs) Right. This is it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I think that I think that's a pretty good transition point into my scam for this for this week, huh. right? Which is which is a which is related to exceptionalism and mediocrity. But I would say it's more of the it's more about the dangers of exceptionalism, right? My scam mm-hmm. is method acting. 
So the it's it's I know it's only loosely related to mediocrity, but it's it's I'm, I'm gonna I'll explain a bit and why I think it's why I think it is related, right? So, but first, first, I mean, Wade and Eve, what are your thoughts on method acting generally? Um, to tell you that I would have to be some, I'd have to learn the experience of someone who's method acted, and then maybe I could, you know, form a character, and then I could tell you what that character <laughs> thinks about method acting. Okay. Eve, what do you think about method acting? No. I feel like um, a lot of the characters that method act are men, and that. That's like that's all I know. But the men, the men yes, characters yes. they're acting are usually like not too savory in character. They're rather unsavory characters, and I'm like, why? Why do you need to to be bad in real life? Yes. Okay. Wait. Before we go any further, we need to mention the origin of the word method acting. I thought it was like the method, a method by which you act. No, it's a guy's name, right? It's like Daniel Method or something. Like, was the first method actor. And now it gets called method acting. What? No, hold on. Yeah, it's a guy's name. Hold wait, on. what? It's totally I don't think that, true. Wait, this is not true. Hold on, hold You're lying. Like... Okay, acting. look it up, wait, because I... Okay, let's all look... Everybody look it up at the same time. I did a bunch of research into method acting like today and yesterday and nowhere did that come up no I think it was like I listened to a podcast or like I got started listening to a podcast about method acting um and apparently it was like developed in Germany by a guy who was like I gotta learn about the purest form like I want to develop the purest form of acting or something like that and then a bunch of like Okay, it's not, it wasn't invented by Daniel Method. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'll, while we're talking about who invented it, I'll, real quick, it, it started as something called The System, um, which was a method for developing the inner life of a character that you're playing. Yeah. Um, developed by Konstantin Stanislavski in Russia, which was like a re reaction yeah. to like the sort of very stilted um, Russian style of acting at the time. And it was meant to like inspire actors to build a whole inner life for their character. And then that was adapted into the method by uh, Lee Straussberg, Harold Klerman, and Cheryl Crawford in New York um, as like a sort of American style, American version of that practice, right? And since then, it's been got it's gone on to be. I mean, Eve, you really hit the nail on the head, right? Because it's it's almost exclusively men who are famously associated with it and like not exclusively whereas i think it's a i think it's good to point out that like cheryl crawford was pretty integral in like its creation it is like the formation of the modern conception of of method acting so it's not exclusively a male pursuit and like Scarlett johansson and like you know some other female actor actors have like you know done mm -hmm. method but it is mostly yeah. associated with men like you're right i i agree yeah I like agree. when we see method acting in the news with somebody like yeah Jared leto or Ugh. robert pattinson you know well no okay so robert pattinson actually i think robert, so robert pattinson famously said he hates method acting he 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 was he has this famous quote where he's like where he's like you only see somebody doing the method when they're being an asshole, you know, like nobody is ever like, I'm going to immerse myself in like a joyful character. Like they're only going to immerse themselves in shitty, shitty men, which is, I think. Can... But yeah, I agree. I'm like, why do you need to get in the head of a character that's bad to like, to empathize with them? 
you know, there's no yeah. need to. Yeah, like I, I think it's it's I think like it's it it's it's kind of an excuse, right? I think it's I think it could be easily construed as like an excuse for bad behavior on set, right? And I think like so the famous examples, like you said, Jared Leto on the set of Suicide Squad, where he's like mailing used condoms out and stuff. And then apparently, I don't know if this is true. This may be me spreading misinformation, but apparently it recently came out that Jared Leto demanded to be pushed around in a wheelchair on the oh, set yes. of Morbius because oh. his character uh, like had trouble walking, I think like before he got his superpowers, I guess. And it's, that's insanity for also, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but also cause it's fucking Morbius. Like what, that is a, why would you put, that's a terrible movie. Why would you do, I don't understand for a t- I mean, obviously, why would you method act at all, frankly? I think, as I said, it's a scam. But, like, that's insane. To be a fucking vampire in Morbius. Ridiculous. How do you pronounce his name, by the way? Jared Jared Le- oh, Jared Leto? Oh, no, maybe it is Jared Leto. You know what? I don't give a fuck. Fuck that guy. I, who cares? So, okay, so back to back to the scam. Method acting, right? Okay, so yes, it's a, it's associated with, like, with men, right? And, and, like, white men specifically, right? And I think, like, the you know, there's Jared Leto, famously. Leonardo DiCaprio did a bunch of crazy shit for, like, The Revenant. Like, get raw meat. It's just insane, right? And so here's here's why I think that it's a scam right and i think that there are two big reasons the first which eve hit on already is it relies on this like absurd degree of privilege to function so in a very practical way it is it doesn't make sense for most people to do it like not only is it mostly associated with white men so there's not much of a history for it of it with actors of color or women and but i think more importantly it's like it's it's only the biggest stars which happened which I mean, not by coincidence, are usually white and, and men, but uh, like the biggest stars in Hollywood can only can, can afford to do it. And very few other people can because it's like there's just not enough time on the sets of other movies to be fucking around for like hours a day just to get one scene. And uh, it's 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 pretty it's pretty frustrating. Like, I think when you hear stories like that, you know, you know, it's uh, it's rough. But I think. My hottest take, my second take, is that ultimately everyone who does method acting is scamming themselves. You're gonna have to explain that. That's my. Out of what are they scamming themselves out of? Okay, I guess you, is my question. Now that's a great question because I get they're ultimately what they're gaining is prestige and money when they method act, right? So it's like <laughs> Eve gave me a face that was like. That was like Sandy. I disagree with this take. <laughs> but but no no no, no 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 no. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, but uh, fuck. What was I say? No, no. Okay. So, but what? There's that's a good question. What are they scamming themselves out? They're scamming themselves out of happiness because they, <laughs> they're just hurting themselves. Like it's just self-destructive behavior. Like on the face of it, it is self-destructive behavior. You're t- you've got this totally wrong, man. They are robbing themselves of like day-to-day happiness because they're such egomaniacs that the only way they can truly be happy is if they convince themselves that they're, you know, a starving artist suffering for their work. Yeah. But that's the thing. Being a method acting allows being doing method acting allows you to needlessly suffer for your work and it convinces you that because you're suffering you're doing awesome so it is a scam but not in the way that you're talking about 
they're not scamming but, they are scamming themselves but they're scamming themselves because they're narcissistical egomaniacs <laughs> i mean look i agree with you that's the reason that they're scamming themselves but this is the thing right it's like the thing with like i i think that um so there's a great video that our, our producer catherine sent me uh, by broey de chanel on youtube called the problem with method acting highly recommend it's very in-depth really really great video and but i think ultimately like it's Yes, they're doing it because they're egomaniacs, but they are there. And, and, and it's it's seen as like, oh, acting is like a sissy job, you know, and it's like men need to justify their their masculinity by by suffering. And uh, and that is insane. But ultimately, like, that's the thing, right? Like, that is a scam. Like, they're doing that because they feel like they need to justify themselves and doing what they love. And that's kind of that's kind of a bummer. Like I get that. I get that we should be like very critical of that because it's very silly, but also like, what do you think about, I don't know. It kind of makes me sad that like people feel like they have to justify doing what they love and they don't want to be like pussies about it or whatever. Like, I mean, look, all, if you're not laying bricks or building roofs or putting out wildfires in my book, your job is a sissy. Okay. <laughs> so rather than be mad that they're, like rather than try to justify their job isn't a sissy job they should just accept that their job is for sissies and they'll well, okay, be better at okay it. i feel as though you're missing the point <laughs> i feel as though the it's more that like they shouldn't like you don't need to rely on that dichotomy you know of like sissy versus not sissy jobs like the, it's just absurd it's just kind of a bummer that they're like i don't know it's, it comes from a place of self-loathing to me we have a question I in the back no, I have a point to make. I think this goes back again to our point about exceptionalism and specifically like dedication to craft. Um, when we see method acting is presented in like news outlets and media, um, it's considered like a very high form of acting. Um, but it's also very silly, right? Because like, I don't know, you're, you're being horrible to play a horrible character, which you really need to do. Like, there's no need to be a horrible person in like to understand why things are bad, right? Um, like, I don't have to run over an old lady in order to play like a murderer. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, let's, you know, no, absolutely not. Um, but I think like we want to see I don't know. Like, I think method acting is just like one of those, one of those things or like one of those techniques that like proves to people or like seems like a legitimate way of practicing your craft. It's so labor intensive. And I think it's a very visible, um, visible method of showing that an actor is dedicated to their craft. Um, and so that's why they do it because they want to be seen or like they want to continue to be held in high. Well, okay. I mean, I was going to say, I think that like ties pretty well into my, my, my ultimate point, which is that I think that Viola Davis had this as a really great quote about method acting, where she says, uh, you can't go on set and just go, okay, I'm going to go hog wild because the character is going hog wild. He punches a wall with his bare fist. So I'm going to do it too. Because she says, then you just walk away with broken fingers. <laughs> and I don't want broken fingers. And I was like, 
that is the most insightful point I've ever heard. It's just, it's like so simple. It's just like, why would you want broken fingers? And ultimately, I guess the reason is because I want to win a fucking Oscar. But that is a terrible reason to break your fingers. Like how insane yeah, is that? Yeah, both literal and metaphorical fingers that you broke. And, yeah. and then after everyone sees the movie, yeah. you turn and you whisper to your friend, bro, he actually yeah. broke <laughs> his fingers to do... To do that thing, you know? Same reason Tom Cruise does his own stunts. That is the same shit. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's, it's insane. Like it, it really just feels to me like mostly, and this is not exclusively Mm -hmm. true. Uh, but I would say it feels mostly like method acting is men appealing to other men who want to turn to their friend in the movie theater and say, you know, he broke his fingers. (laughs) Bro, they're appealing to me. <laughs> Bro, he actually jacked off a for guy. For real, he actually for this scene came, in the movie where he was jacked crazy. off a guy, and that's the he whole point. Came, yeah. He actually got cum on his face. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, Eve. Eve's son brought such a Eve class. Act. <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, yeah, he was curious. No, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It's fine. I read so much. Good. Um, but the point is, <laughs> I, okay, no, it's fine. Uh, I don't care. Um, um, I know men. I have like I know three men. I know multiple men. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've met men. You've met us in real yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's the end of my point. I would like Wayne to deliver final judgment on whether method acting is, is the final jam. judgment. I would like to be the first to say that this was a shockingly coherent podcast. So a round of applause to you both. Another our, perfect um, episode. Yeah. Another perfect to those episode. to uh, our guests who brought the deal and our regular who brought the scam. If you like the pod, consider it rating five stars Wait on Spotify. Minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Before you tell people to rate the podcast, which you should do, rate five stars on Spotify. But um, what you didn't deliver final judgment. Is it a scam or not? I did. I called it shockingly coherent. That's not the same thing as calling it a scam or not. I mean, like I said before, like once we, you know, if you spend like, I don't know how long we spent talking about a subject. Once you spend that long mm-hmm. talking about it, I can't really, I can't choose one or the other. It's too it's too complex a subject so how about instead of this point if you really feel like you need a final judgment just go back to the beginning of the podcast and listen to the podcast again and you'll get basically the same thing okay okay wade's okay fine wade fascinating indeed um so where were we (laughs) before i was really interrupted if you like the pod considering five stars on spotify or writing a review on apple podcasts most importantly scam your friends into listening to the pod as i've said to many this is an unlistenable podcast and if you listen to it you're the one who's getting scammed (laughs) our producer can bleep us any identifying (laughs) info you're welcome kath